Hello, welcome back. It is the Philosopher's Stone podcast, December 14th, 2023. Leading into the holiday season. What's up, Sam? Uh, yeah, jingling. Is that yeah. how you say holidays? J- or jig- jiggling? Jiggling? Jingling? Jingling, it's not sorry. Jiggle, it's not jiggling. <laughs> <laughs> Jing- <laughs> jiggle bells. Jiggle bells. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh. frick, yeah, every single uh, story you're in is just okay. I was in Save On today, and they were playing uh, the Partridge in a Pear Tree song. Uh huh. Classic. It's got to be one of the most annoying songs ever written. You actually <laughs> sit there and listen to them repeat the same list of shit over and over again with no dip in enthusiasm. It's unbelievable, and I mean that's unbelievable. That's. That's all people used to know how to do was sing songs where you just add another verse every time. It's and like they, all of them. They just add <laughs> one thing to the list, go through the whole thing. Uh, it's like one of those songs thing to do. <laughs> it's like one of those songs that you would sing in like elementary school that people always found so funny. Like uh, the song that never ends, mm. but they just oh, add yeah. a, another word at the end of it. Yeah. I used to think that um, was the most clever yeah. thing I've ever heard in my life. A loop. You looped it back? How can you even do that? That's insane. Uh, what kind of physics is this? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or the take the beer song or take one down, pass it around. And yeah. There's a beer on the wall. Yeah. I mean, that is, that's something I would sing if I was like, if I fell down a mine shaft and I was waiting out death. Yeah. Th- those are, those songs are good to sing if you are like hiking or something and you're trying to alert the bears in the area to your presence. You just belt out some song like that that you can just keep doing. What percentage of people <laughs> that start that song get down to zero bottles of beer on the wall, do you think? Oh, my God. It must have happened on some bus trip. <laughs> it must have happened once. I think people abandon it well before that. How long would it take to actually <laughs> sing that? Of course. All 100 bottles of beer? Yeah. Oh, man. Maybe like an hour, I would think. I think I can Google this. How long does it take to finish the song 100 bottles <laughs> 100 bottles you know Man. what they should do they should 50 cent should make a version yes. of, or jay-z should make a version of 99 yes. problems where he actually goes and lists them all <laughs> Take one down, pass it around. Ninety-eight problems on the wall. Ninety-eight problems, and a bitch still ain't one. <laughs> How long does it take to sing? Okay, thirteen point two minutes. What? Yes, all a hundred bottles. If you do uh, it at one hundred and twenty beats per minute, that's okay. fast. We got the time, so should we? One hundred twenty beats per minute is fast. That is a high beat- tempo. It's not that It's high. two beats a second. It's two beats a second. That's perfect timing. Any slower is going to feel like a fever dream. 99 bottles of beer on the wall. That's the tempo I like. Very slow. It just starts getting pitched down every time, too. Like your voice goes down, (laughs) pitched down one octave. By the end, it's like, three bottles of beer on the wall. Man, that's like a dying computer singing that song. Yeah. Hal. Are you coming back for the holidays? Uh, Yes, I am. Um, I will be in Kelowna. The fair city of Kelowna, British Columbia, on uh, a week from today, Thursday, December twenty-first. Damn. Then when do you? How long you stay for? I stay until I think my flight is on January two or three. It's on one of the January two or okay, three. Okay, so you're here for like a week. Or two. I'm here. Yeah. Well, I'm here for the major weekends. Yeah, we. Yeah, but oh, how many of those days are you actually going to be free? Um, well, I don't hey, know exactly yet. Would you want to come to, uh, to Kyle Patan's album recording? 
Ooh, when, that's on the Friday, right? It's on the 22nd. I'm going to the late show with my sister and my wife. Your wife? My wife and my sister are coming to see <laughs> Tyler Patton tell the jokes. Man, if Borat was talking about his wife and his sister, it would be disgusting. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we're going to the late yeah, show. Yeah, I'll go to that, sure. Be, yeah, it's going to be a late night, but who cares? He needs He needs bodies at the late show, I'm sure. I can be a body. And I can cool. even laugh. All right. I can be a body that laughs. I think I I'm going to see him tonight, actually. So I'll tell him that we're coming. All right. Hell I'll yeah. Tell him to reserve an extra spot for you. Yeah. Coo, coo, yeah. coo. Reserve Wait. another throne. Historical recording by Kyle Patton. I don't think he's done any sort of recording before, like officially. Just his uh, podcast. That's it. I mean, like I his stand-up. I don't think he's done like any, no, even like a twenty-minute so. features special or anything like that. No, nothing, nothing officially recorded, as far as I know. This is big. Yeah, I mean, I think he's probably over ten years into it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, I'm very excited to see that. Yeah, it's going to be, be pretty fun. Uh, I just did a uh, five shows in Vancouver, British Columbia. Good times. Good to see uh, Zauer and Will Corey. Mm-hmm. Graciously let me stay at their place. So if you're listening to this, thank you, Will Corey. St- sorry for stealing your house keys and bringing them back to Kelowna with me. Whoa. <laughs> Bad guest. Bad I guest. I was sitting at the terminal in the airport. And I looked in my pocket and I had that <laughs> that. that you know, where the camera zooms in and out at the same time, that dreaded realization moment. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The Hitchcock vertigo mo- yes, camera move. Exactly. Yep. I think he's, <laughs> but he, he he claims he can get by without it. So I hope that's true. I'm sure it's Just already go caused. Through a window or something? It's already caused. I don't need a key. So many. I bet you it's already caused so many moments of frustration. Oh my god, um, that's terrible. <clears throat> they live in a nice area. They shouldn't need to lock their doors. That's what I say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. shouldn't need to. I agree. It, I was there for three days. To. I did five shows, and all of them were fun. I only had one set that I didn't enjoy, but that's mm-hmm. not bad for you know four out of five. Ain't bad. Four to five is good. Good numbers. Yeah. So for having fun yourself. Yeah. Yes. And um, it's good to meet, met some new comedians I'd never met. Just know of peripheral. Uh, so put some names to faces and uh, yeah, some good comics. Got to see some. Co- nice. It's always a treat to see good comics you've never seen before. Oh, yeah. Yep. One of the best things. Yeah. Because it can be nice to see the same comics do the same jokes yeah. again and again and again. But sometimes it is nicer just to get some fresh air mm-hmm. in your brain. And then that stimulates your own creativity, too, and you're exposed to something new. Yeah. I, I got I to gotta, I gotta start writing. Uh, I want to have, by the time my album comes out, not that it's going to become like a, a known thing, but I think it's just a good practice to have at least 20 minutes of new material by the time your album comes out so that if people hire you based off of your album, like, Hey, I listened to your album. I really like you. You can Mm -hmm. give them 20 minutes of fresh. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Do do you have a plan for how to start writing? Like I, I find the best way to start writing is to not like not like sit down and try and write, but to go out and do things and yeah, oh yeah, it's definitely for me. It's always the way I do it now. I, the one thing I've started doing again is once I have the basic idea, I will sit down and write it out one time, mm-hmm. and then that way it just kind of I just have it. And then now it's like if I ever can't sleep or whatever, I'll just run through jokes in my head and like try and punch them up. But mm-hmm. I rarely go back into the notebook and actually add all the new stuff. I just wrote it in the notebook so that it's somewhere. Because uh, sometimes I'll just forget entire premises and jokes I had that I was planning on writing but forgot. So yeah. I do have quite a few premises. And sometimes I find it's easier when I sit down with a notebook to tear in a premise into an actual joke because 
sometimes all you got is a thread of something and you actually have to sit down and, and meditate on it and pull that thread and get a whole mm. sweater out of it. <laughs> you know who else uh, would workshop their writing projects at night? Who? Stephen King. What do you mean workshop? Like he would just tell himself the story in his head if he couldn't sleep. He would just run yeah. through the story in his head. Oh, that's what I do. I'll, yeah, I just go through the jokes in my head. I, 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 ha I heard this one theory. I think it was Bill Burr, but I don't. I think he was talking about one of his mentors telling him this and why he doesn't use a notebook is if you can't remember it, it's probably too long, too complicated, or not very good. Mm, yeah, that's a right? good point. If you can't just keep the whole thing in your head, it's probably too long. Because I always end up... Whenever I sit down with a notebook and I write a joke, I always make it way too long and then I end up cutting it down like 50%. So that's mm -hmm. when I started doing it, just writing it in my head, I knew that it's simple enough if I can remember everything without forgetting it. Yeah. 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 That's, that's, that's fair. That's fair. It's gotta have like a, it's gotta be complete in and of itself almost so that once you start it, you know exactly how it's going to go. Yeah. And usually that's the problem with new comics when they're trying to figure out how to write. It's, it's all typically they go too complicated. It's, it's, yeah, it's more often they go way too complicated than they don't make it complex enough. Mm -hmm. I heard Mark Norman talking about that and he was like, you can never, I think it was him never overestimate their intelligence or their attention span when he's talking about audiences. So keep it simple. And you know, that's why it's like you, it's better to keep your longer bits near the end of a set than at the beginning of a set, because you kind of have to earn their trust and their respect for them to pay attention for longer than like a minute and a half near the end. Very true. Yeah. It's all part of the evolution of, a stand-up comic, you might say. Yes. How long have you been doing it now? I'm going to guess four and a half years. Yeah, that's probably about right. Four and a half to five. Yeah. Okay. So that's you're approximately, right. you've done it as half as long as I have. Yeah, that seems about right. Um, so. My, my evolution is not complete. No, Not no. that evolution is supposed to reach an end goal, but. No, you like to me, uh, you know, a three year comic is new and to a 15 year comic, an eight year comic is new. Right. It's all perspective. Mm -hmm. Right. And then Indeed. you get to like a, I remember some, someone was on Louis, C, Louis CK was talking to someone. They said they've been doing it for 15 years and his response was okay. Not that long. <laughs> Fuck you, Louis. <laughs> Go jerk off into another phone. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into it. What do we have for today? Anything else you want to you want to talk about before we start? Are we do we have a lesson? We do. I was I, I dangled it a couple times. Oh uh, fuck! I usually catch those. <laughs> Evolution or Darwinism, rather, ah. is our topic for today. Okay. Um, yeah, specifically, we're going to look at uh, Darwinism and then two sort of offshoots of Darwinism, and that is theistic evolution which is the idea that God guides the evolutionary process. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the other one is social Darwinism, which is the idea that you can take <clears throat> Darwin's ideas and apply it to human societies and civilizations. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, what do you know about Darwin? Before we like jump into it, um, what do you know about Charles Darwin and his theory of evolution? I know iguanas. I know he fucking he fucked with the iguanas hard and Komodo dragons. He was the I don't know if he was the first person to have this epiphany, but he was the first one to like sit down and flesh it out, right, with the scientific method that you know, we have such a variety of species on the planet because of slow mutation over uh millions of years. Uh, due to natural selection and uh, that's what led to all the different species on the planet which I've said before on this podcast when you get someone who knows what they're talking about it to 
to to sit down and just walk you through how evolution works. It's it becomes as plain as a fact as any other fact I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you're right that he wasn't like he wasn't like the first person to know that like you can like breed for certain traits. Mm-hmm. Like that was very well understood um, even up until his time. But uh, what he what his big innovation was was that nature itself does it over millions of years. Right. And that must have been quite the epiphany. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was. And uh, as, as we'll see, people had a lot of problems with certain implications from the theory. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, it kind of be- spits in the face of uh, the young earth theory, right? Yeah, it, it rules out young earth. Um, it might rule out uh, whether God is, is good. Right? Maybe there is theistic evolution, but if there is, God might not be very good. We're like working to the benefit of all species. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, but b- before we start, I should credit the resource here is from Professor James Lennox at the University of Pittsburgh. Jay Lennox, my boy. Jay Lennox. <laughs> um, but anyway, we'll just, I'll do, let's go over the, the basic, like Darwin's basic tenets. All right. Just so we get an understanding. Uh, So number one, species are comprised of individuals that vary ever so slightly from each other with respect to their many traits. So that's the first one. Okay. That one's pretty easy to see. Can you repeat that for me one more time? Yeah. Species are comprised of individuals that vary ever so slightly from each other with respect to their many traits. Right, right, right. So even members of the same species are just going to be a little bit different from each other. Um, And they've and they're right. So number two, species have a tendency to increase in numbers over generations at a geometric rate. What does geometric rate mean? I think that means not exponential. I think it means like gradual. Okay. Like a gradual rate, like two times two times two, that kind of thing. The um, uh, the science fiction novel I've been slogging through for the last few months. It is a slog, I will say, but it is a good book. Like I, I objectively do find it to be interesting, but for, there's just something about the writing style or something that I just I can't do more than like a chapter or two at a time. But Children of Time, yeah. That's an all about accelerated evolution. And it kind yeah. of that's kind of the cool thing where it like walks you kind of through these leaps and bounds that a certain species takes over, I don't know, a few thousand years, I think it is in the book. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they go way faster in, in that book because they have yes. a nanovirus. They have an accelerator that accelerates evolution to like a huge. Uh, warp speed essentially but yeah it's cool yeah all right um number three so the first so the second one species have a tendency to increase in numbers over generations um species multiply all right we know that okay number three the tendency to increase in numbers is checked by limited resources disease predation etc maybe climate disasters that kind of thing creating a struggle for survival among the members of the same species. So people, species wants to reproduce more and more, but not all of them survive. Right. That is why reproduction is so important and reproducing a lot because, you know, only a certain (laughs) percentage actually makes it. Yeah. Yeah. That's why like bugs are so, so dominant because they can, just one of them can have like thousands of young. Yeah, it is. It is disgusting. <laughs> that's what. That's why is it that like multitudes of a single thing are, is so repulsive to me? The only re- way it's not repulsive is if it's not alive, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm not repulsed by forests, but if every single tree was moving around and like fucking, you know, had like was alive in the sense that it had its own sentience, that would scare the fuck out of me. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I don't get like 
I don't get mad if I see like a big field of grass. No, but but if, if you I saw a big this... field of snakes or worms or, or or cockroaches, you'd get you'd be grossed out. Yeah, I would think like this is like a, a plague or something. Like, well, I guess that's probably part of the reason is that a f- bunch of grass or trees growing together means health, and a bunch of mm-hmm. worms or cockroaches <laughs> in one spot means something's dying. Yeah, yeah, man, ah, we just do not like. We do not like to see. Maybe it's we take it as a threat. Like, holy shit! Only, only we should have that many things happen. I mean, like infestation, kind of. Gotta sometimes control. I get that feeling when I see a crowd of people. Like, oh, it's just too many people packed yeah, together. Just, just want to start picking them off, eh? <laughs> Don't start putting words in my mouth. Uh, right, I mean, yeah, even no, I spent, like I said, I spent three days in Vancouver and I was like, wow, this is way too crowded for me. And it's like not a very densely populated Vancouver. city at all. <laughs> oh, my God. I think I've grown. <laughs> I don't realize how claustrophobic I've become because I'm so used to having so much space. So that when I get into like some anomaly crowded area, I start panicking. I I had uh, I had the opposite experience coming back from Asia. I find I found the lack of crowds disturbing. Yeah, I mean, it's really strange. I don't think I, the only re- way I've ever experienced that was the one time I went to Saskatchewan, and it was like the flat plains. I went to my grandparents' town they grew up in. It has a population of seventy-two, Oof. and and it just the openness, and it's just like you felt so desolate. Not even desolate, just like depressed because there's like mm-hmm. nothing happening anywhere. Yeah, gotta get out. <clears throat> Okay, number four. Uh, some individuals will have variations that give them a slight advantage in this struggle. Variations that allow more efficient or better access to resources, greater resistance to disease, greater success at avoiding predators, and so on. And uh, so that leads right into the next one. These individuals will tend to survive better and leave more offspring. Right. So that's survival of the fittest. Yeah. And that's not a new, that is, that idea is not new to Darwin. Like anyone who's like a farmer or a breeder at the time would have known that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Darwin's big thing is just to show that this happens at the level of, of species, like not yeah. just on your farm and your breeding program, but across the whole earth with species. Yeah. That's just, it's not just making a, you know, a dash hound from a husky. It's, <laughs> If you go back far enough, it's a rat to a horse. Yeah, exactly. Like breeders in Darwin's time, they would breed dogs for specific tasks. You breed like a dog, like a terrier's bred to go after things that live in holes, I think, like groundhogs and stuff. Um, Then you've got like fighting dogs. They breed them for different traits. So they totally get this. Yeah. Uh, And then they would understand the next one too, which is offspring tend to inherit the variations of their parents again pretty common sense i think the biggest because like like you said people weren't like opposed to this idea being possible because they did it with breeding animals i think what was probably hard to get their heads around was the scale the time scale that was required yeah that's going to be one of the big objections um so uh number seven these therefore favorable variations will tend to be passed on more frequently than others and thus be preserved. A tendency Darwin labeled natural selection. Boom. Nailed it. Yeah. And then that word selection will also become a big problem. Um, But number eight, over time, especially in a slowly changing environment, this process over time, right? Long time. Especially in a slowly changing environment, this process will cause the character of species to change. And given a long enough period of time, the descendant populations of an ancestor species will differ enough both from it and each other to be classified as different species. Right. And at some point, the interbreeding becomes impossible. That's probably another good marker that they've become a new species. Yeah, that is a that's a marker. But even like there is breeding possible across species as well. So this whole, like, even the concept of species is going to get destroyed by um, Darwinism. Uh, Fuck, I had a question and then it slipped away. Okay, never mind. Bye. (laughs) All right. So these are these are the uh, 
So this theory like caused a big consternation, obviously still does. Mm-hmm. Um, especially at the time, right? The dominant worldview is Christianity. And the idea there is that God orders the universe. It's all according to the plan, God's plan. Ah, okay. I remember my question. Can I? So in relation to the environment, right? If if an environment is is very, uh, is changing a lot, things evolve faster. Is that what you said? Or do things evolve at the same rate, but they become fractured into different species at a higher rate? Um, yeah, that's, that's an interesting question. Um, the rate of like change Mm -hmm. depends a bit on the organism. So like evolution of adaptive traits occurs, seems to occur faster with stuff like bacteria and things like that. Right. Like, uh, um, but it's, I don't know if you, it's, it's, we'll, we'll, we'll see, we'll see as we get into it, but it's all about like, uh. I guess to put it in more recent events, was the COVID virus, the COVID virus. Yeah. Was that as an, a, an example of rapid evolution? Because um, of all the different mutations that would happen oh, like to a new variant? Mutating? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess you could say, yeah, that is like a rapid evolution, right? Because the, the virus is like, they don't have parents really. Mm-hmm. But when they they replicate, they they have like variations, mm-hmm. and then the the variations that are better at infecting people and passing on, those are the ones that succeed. Because mm-hmm. so it tends to go as a natural selection. Yeah, it goes from uh, well, COVID seemed to go from it would kill people. The first variant would kill people a lot, but that's not beneficial to the virus because it needs hosts. It doesn't want to have to kill its hosts. So it went from less transmissible, more deadly, and then it slowly changed over to extremely transmissible, but much less deadly, which I can only assume is where it wants to be. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if viruses are classified as species or not. Like, I I have no idea how they even classify them, but um, that is like kind of, yeah, that is like a rapid kind of natural selection. Um, Yeah, I don't know if our environment changes enough for us to see that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and some species stop or seem to stop evolving once they get to become basically the top of their, like they're like the apex of their environment. Like there's no, there's no external pressures to evolve anymore. Right. That's why you got some like species of sharks that are like, they haven't changed in millions and millions of years. Yeah, it's it's yeah, that's true. Like it's about pressure. Like if if different if certain traits aren't uh be if like every if the traits aren't being selected for and then the ones that don't have the traits are are dying. If none of that is happening then yeah, things just won't really mm-hmm. won't change very much. And if yeah. their environment is relatively unchanged, there's no reason to adapt as like they're Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mutations are probably still happening, but I don't oh, think yeah. they're beneficial, so they usually it doesn't matter because they'll probably die off or it doesn't, it just doesn't, the mutation isn't an advantage enough that it's the one that outlasts the rest of its own species. Yeah. Um, a, a, a good example. Well, okay. Well, we'll get to that. But the first, uh, the first sort of like, these are the, the, the problems that evolution caused for, um, like the philosophy of the day. Um, uh, so the first one we have is chance. There's a ton of randomness involved in evolution uh, because the traits that are selected for depends, like we were just saying, the traits that get selected for depend on the pressures. Mm-hmm. So in one context, one trait might be advantageous and it gets selected for. But in another context, that trait might be a disadvantage and it won't get, and it will, won't get selected for. Yeah, and that's kind of how you get a fish coming out of the ocean, and then it's like, I don't need any fins now that I'm on the land. So it slowly loses its fins and grows feet. Yeah, uh, there was a, someone spotted a dolphin in the Mediterranean that had like thumbs on its flippers. 
Now, is that a mute? Do you think that's a deformation or is it a mutation? Well, it all depends. It all depends on, uh, it is a mutation because it's not a normal thing. It's like a weird variant. Um, But whether or not it's adaptive is the key. Is it good for the dolphin to have that trait given it's the Mm. pressures that it's facing in its environment? Does that trait have a function that benefits the dolphin in some way? If and if it, is, if it reproduced, would its offspring have the same traits? Yeah, potentially, yeah. Because um, I think that certain things are not hereditary, right? Certain right. birth defects or whatever. Yeah, if you get a, yeah, like if you, you can't pass on your skills to your offspring, things that you learn in your life. Ah. If you lose a finger, you're not, your kids aren't going to be born without that finger that you lost. See, that's one of the interesting aspects of that book I'm reading is that the uh, the spi- it's all spiders, by the way. Yeah. The main species that's evolving are spiders, and they have something in the book where they can pass on their memories and skills to the next generation. Yeah, that's where the insects have us beat, is they, uh, they can just pump out pre-programmed versions that don't need... So is that training. a real thing, or is that only in my book? Can insects actually no, that, do that's that? That's real. Insects actually do that. Like a spider is born knowing how to make a web. Um, right but in in the book it's different in that like if that spider learned like some like new trick to yeah. a web then in that book the offspring would be born knowing about the new trick yeah but, so in that book if something someone learns something new it's like very important that they pass it on immediately or because if yeah. they die it might be lost and other and other instances in the book they'll they will purposely not reproduce because what they learned could be dangerous yeah super interesting Mm -hmm. um but so this this chance thing has a lot of implications especially if you have like a religious or a christian worldview where you think that uh god has created everything in his image and all that whatnot but actually uh like so we have evolved intelligence and language because those benefited us but if intelligence and language turn out to someday not benefit us, then they won't be selected for anymore. And we will evolve out of those traits. That would be wild. Yeah. And it's just a matter of its chance. Like what, what traits are going to fit your environment and what won't. So it's basically chance that we learned language. Um, yeah. It's like given, given the world and like our, the pressures that we faced intelligence and language got selected for, but they might not have been if things were different, right? Because tons of animals don't have language. They don't. Right. And our, the human mouth itself is like, that probably took a long time to evolve to the point where it could form complex words. Indeed. (laughs) So, so that's, uh, that's like a, so the theistic evolution comes in to correct this. And say, well, no, 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 hold on. God has planned the selection from the beginning Mm -hmm. to guide us towards intelligence and language. See, and to that, I immediately, my first thought is why go through that? Why not just give us everything? If you want us to end up somewhere, why not just make us? And the only answer that I can think of is that it's not fun for him that way. (laughs) Yeah, you wouldn't get to watch all the dinosaurs and everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that we've become basically a form of entertainment for him. Because if it, if he yeah. really wanted the best for us, he would have guaranteed certain things, not left it to chance. Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, precisely. Like that's that's the idea is that it's if if you believe in like a a Christian God, then it wouldn't have been left to chance. God does yeah. not play dice. As the saying goes, he's like, here's a certain set of rules. Uh, If you do all of them, you will be happy and you will have a great life and eternal life. And then my first question is, oh, are they easy to follow? And he goes, no, not at all. Many of your base (laughs) instincts are going to try and get you to break all the rules all the time. Anyways, have fun. See you later. Maybe (laughs) not. Probably not. Probably won't see you later. <laughs> uh, such a such a dick move. Dick move. I know. Um, but hey, how but, are we? We can't understand his his plans. 
exactly mysterious ways yeah um but uh but it is funny like because we have made video games to simulate exactly that like uh spore the video game spore Mm -hmm. you you simulate the evolution of an organism Um, right so we could be in a simulation about simulating evolution like let me ask you something when you play that game how how bad do you feel when one of your uh creatures dies do you feel would you say you feel (laughs) would you say you get over it very quickly not quickly or not at all well i have to confess i've never played spore okay i have to confess i don't think i've never had a computer that could handle it really is that is that hardcore huh i don't know i think i just have lousy computers Ah. non non non-gaming or maybe it's on xbox i don't know i just Um, got my first gaming rig and it's been it's been pretty fun oh what are you uh what are you running what am i running like what are the specs of my no i don't know i don't know (laughs) what game uh right now i'm playing a game called remnant from the ashes oh nice that's the second uh, one just came out but that's a souls like shooter yes yes yeah uh i haven't you've got to play elden ring I, I mean, I feel like this is my first entry into this type of game. I don't know. I feel like difficulty with because Elden Ring's mostly hand to hand combat stuff, right? Uh, you can do. There's tons of magic. You can do oh, tons of magic. Okay. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll give it a shot uh, yeah. down the road. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, so the next one, um, selection, right? Because we've just said it's like chance. There's so much chance. But then it's called natural selection. Mm-hmm. Where's the chance in selection, right? Um, so here's a, a fun bit of trivia. So we've we've heard of survival of the fittest. Apparently, the first place that's recorded was not by Charles Darwin, but by someone who was reading on the origin of species named Alfred Russell Wallace. He crossed out natural selection and he wrote survival of the fittest. Interesting. Yeah. I got a question. Um, what yeah. can you tell me? What the uh, significance of the Galapagos Islands was to Darwin? Uh, that is that's where he observed the iguanas and the finches. Right, and, and you've knows, been to this island, right? No way, no way. Oh, someone I knew went there. No, that would be a fucking dream. Did Zach go there? I don't know. It's, I thought you it's went very there. restricted. It's very oh. restricted. You're not allowed okay. to just go there. Yeah. Never mind. You can go on. There's a there's an entry to the hollow earth there, so no not not anyone can uh, just go. Yes. <laughs> and it's protected by uh NASA's Giant. counterpart, the people that deal with under under earth instead of outer space. <laughs> yes. The the lava men. Yes. yes. <laughs> there's an organization there. You try and get in the cave and there's a guy with a he's dressed in a tuxedo, which is odd because he's in the middle of nowhere in the mouth of a cave and he says Are you authorized name, to be in <laughs> Yeah. I think his name is Lord Guangguang or something. Lord Guangguang, yeah. Lord Guangguang. I think uh, that hollow <laughs> earth theory is going to become the new um flat earth soon. Oh, they're gonna go from flat to hollow? I think yes. I think eventually flat Earth is going to become is going to go back into its obscurity, and it's going to be hollow Earth all the way. Yeah, hollow Earth is uh, there's a lot less there's a lot less proof that it's not true. Oh, hollow Earth. Yeah. Well, there are literally caves. Like, yes, there are caves. <laughs> like, yeah. So, but um, no, there's not a another race of beings living in Antarctica with Nazi technology. <clears throat> anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's never as cool yeah, as it is. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the Galapagos. Uh, yeah, so that's where he observed like big variations within species on the different islands corresponding to like the different stuff that they ate and their predators and things like that, the finches. And so he observed like all the, and he got the ideas for natural selection when he visited the Galapagos Island on the famous ship, the HMS Beagle. Huh? It's so famous. <laughs> I've never heard of it. Huh? Well, in, in some circles, it's famous. Okay. Nerd circles, nerd circles. <laughs> so, so Darwin's, uh, theistic supporters, they did not like 
this aspect of evolution because according to theistic evolution, God guides the process. But according to Darwin, selection does not work like that. There are two steps. The first step is there's a random variation. Mm-hmm. It's just unrelated to whatever the organism needs to adapt. Totally random. Yeah. Second, some of those variations might prove adaptive to pressures. Right. And then the organisms with those traits are more successful. So it's a luck of the draw that you get a mutation that actually is beneficial to you. Yes. Which is why it requires so so much time to actually result in new species. Because yes. probably I would say, I mean, here's coming from a completely uneducated, out of my asshole statement right now. My my uneducated asshole is spitting Ugh. this out to you. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> get a get a go to school and get, get a degree I'm trying to get my butthole to go back to college uh, <laughs> uh what was i going to say right it's probably much more rare to have a beneficial mutation than it is to have a mutation that's a hindrance yeah most mutations are not good yeah um there's like the there's the david cronenberg movie that came out recently um is like it's about like an evolutionary change in humans and that some humans they are like practically catatonic can't talk to anybody or anything but they have this weird adaptive trait where they can eat like toxic waste and plastic and stuff and so they only hang out with each other yeah and so that's like that's called speciation when there's a new adaptive trait that comes out and the individuals with that adaptive trait just hang around with each other and don't uh, mix. Who wants to hang ones. out with the garbage eaters? <laughs> right? Uh, the movie is so weird. They like, they just like break into the bathroom. He's just eating the trash can. It's such a weird movie. What? This reminds <laughs> so me, um, if you want to take like human evolution to the absolute extreme, there's that one book. I think we've talked about it called every tomorrow. Oh, uh, all tomorrows. All tomorrows. Yeah, it's about a um, human species gets scattered through the universe, and they all evolve into new creatures based on where they end up. Just well, it's, you... go ahead. There's, it's slightly different it's because they these aliens called the Q show up, right? And the Q have like a religious belief that they have to remake all life in a new way as they see fit. And so they like, they do like a guided rapid evolution of humans into all these weird different. Oh, so they guide it. They, yeah, they like take us and change our code, but you keep some of, maybe you keep some of your consciousness or something. Yeah. But they, they take them and scatter them. Yeah. And then they go away. Go look up some YouTube videos about this because there's a lot of illustrations and, um, the book is full of pictures of these creatures, these new human creatures and how they adapt to their new planets. Like, I think there was one where they're like, they're like plants essentially only their heads are above ground and the rest of their bodies are in the ground, like a root and there that's humanity and that's their civilization. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was another one too, where they turn them into like a waste processor, but you're still conscious. Right. So Some of them are like horrific. A- yeah, some of them. Some of them are like cool, like they they become like sky people, where they like just yeah. live in the sky, and others become literal like dumpsters. Yeah, um, yeah, very cool story. Um, okay, so the next one, uh, final cause. So, if you maybe you remember, we talked about Aristotle, and Aristotle had this idea of like a final cause, where like. The, the purpose of some like the the purpose of something is what makes it what it is or something I, I can't even remember but um, the question is does evolution work towards some sort of end goal right like is is there a, a goal to the process and so here's a, here's a quote uh, moreover be, uh, because Darwin was very fond of describing natural selection, as a process that worked for the good of each species, Darwin's followers seem to have diametrically opposed views as to whether his theory 
eliminated final causes from science or breathed new life into them. So this is where we start to come to the, like the social Darwinism stuff. Right. Um, so the question is, does evolution say that organisms possess adaptive traits because those traits are good for them to have? And the answer seems to be yes. And uh, here, here's a good example. Um, so there's a fish called the guppy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, here we go. Oh, fuck and yeah. I was waiting. I was hoping you bring these motherfuckers up. I'm, I'm guppy yuppie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good try. Yuppie for guppy. Yuppie <laughs> for guppy. Um, so these guppies, they had scales that resembled the pebbles on the riverbed, which is good camouflage. Mm -hmm. So the males have like this good camouflage, but they also have these bright red spots, which are not camouflage, but the bright red spots are good for attracting mates. Mm. However, it turns out that the gu the, where these guppies have these red spots, the main predator, a prawn, was colorblind to red. Ah. So the trait was both advantageous for attracting mates and for avoiding their main predator. That's pretty good. Two tra one trait, two benefits. Yeah. And furthermore, other guppies have different color spots. So it proves that in that area... It was beneficial for guppies to have red spots, right? And that's why that's where the that's where the prawns were. That's where the prawns were, right? So it was good for the guppy to have that trait. That's why it has that trait because it's advantageous for it to have it. Mm -hmm. So some of these traits, they are, they are there because it's good for the organism to have them. Now, what are the chances of a good trait going away? Does that will that ever happen randomly? That's a good question. Um, like, for example, we have a vestigial tail, right? Your tailbone. Yeah. We lost our tail. Yeah, uh, it sucks. <laughs> and I think it's probably because you don't need it if you walk on two legs and you're not in a tree. Right. Like, what, is the, what is the point? <laughs> I, I don't know if it would even help you balance or it would throw you off. If yeah, you're walking you on off. two legs, yeah. it probably throws you Oh, well, monkeys. Lots of monkeys spend a lot of time uh, walking bipedally, and they have tails. But they live in trees, so well, totally yeah. different. Yeah. Chimps, gorillas, orangutans, the other apes. Ground apes. Ground, ground, ground apes. dwellers <laughs> don't usually have tails if they're apes. Primates. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. So, and then the last. Uh, so that's like an interesting one. The, the theistic evolution people love it because they will say like we have the traits we have because um god wanted us to have them mm -hmm. um and again like i don't really know uh you know what fine you can have it i don't care <laughs> uh, <laughs> but moving on um to social darwinism so social Darwinism, this was very popular after Charles Darwin's theory came out. People loved this idea. Mainly the Europeans loved this. Right. Because they took everything he said about how like a species, like the, the survival of the fittest of a species, uh, they, the species survives because they have the best traits, the most superior traits. So the Europeans, they look at like, oh, European civilization is so dominant. We've conquered everybody. It must be because we have superior traits in our civilization and maybe even in our race. So the, that's not good. The thinking went. That's not good. <laughs> and so they, and then the, this is extended to economics. So you have laissez-faire capitalism. This used to be the big idea. You just let it go. Just let the free market go. Mm -hmm. Don't regulate labor. Don't pass these like laws about stuff like that. Just let it happen. Let it play out because then the superior traits will be selected for it. Um, Does that happen though? Well, not really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not really. Uh, 
but it, but it justifies all sorts of inequality, right? So class stratification. Well, yeah. if you're poor, it's because you don't have adaptive traits. You're not hardworking. You're not frugal. You're not uh, temperate. That's why you're poor. Damn. If you're wealthy, well, it's because you have the adaptive traits that would be necessary to make you wealthy. Um, this was a popular idea? Oh, very, very, very popular idea. What? Yeah. Um, Even amongst the poors? Dominant. Uh, well, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, like poor people are often believe uh, things to their own detriment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh, so this was a very popular idea. Um, it justified all sorts of imperialism, colonialism. Uh, there's a famous poem by R- Rudyard Kipling called The White Man's Burden. <laughs> oh, poor guy. <laughs> yeah, and it's literally saying, like, look, we are so superior that it is our burden to uh, to help the less superior by colonizing them, et cetera. Um, wow, white savior. Yeah, and then... To the, uh, to the max on that one. To the max. And it reached its... Uh, it reached its peak with like Anglo-Saxon Aryan racial superiority. Like, oh, why, why are the European European successive? Well, it's more than just that. Like, we're industrious and frugal and temperate. It's also a biological thing. Mm. We are actually like a different species almost. So the thinking went right. Um, and then, of course, like as we saw this thinking play out into World War One, World War Two. Slave, like all sorts of horrific things happened. Um, people kind of wised up and realized that this is not, you cannot take lessons about how species change over millions of years and then apply that to day to day life. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't work. No. And how do they explain all the successful people that aren't white? Uh, yeah, that's like another, like, that's just why it's like so silly. Yeah. It's just, (laughs) if you actually like study, study things, um, you realize the reasons has, has a lot to do with, with chance and luck. Yeah. Geography is big. Climate's big. The pressures are big. Yeah. I feel Um, like a changing climate, like a climate that is like you know like where we live like it's cold and then hot and cold and hot there's like it takes a few a little bit more innovation to like survive in a climate like that but that has nothing to do with race it just has everything to do with where you locate where you're located geographically yeah precisely so like europe is a great geographical location Mm -hmm. um compared to like there's way less diseases generally fewer predators um, mm. more temperate it's not like you're not sweating in the in the jungle there's not tons of parasites and diseases and snakes and shit everywhere right um, yeah so, so that totally, gives you a little bit more time to sit around and invent shit yeah this was like the whole theory of uh guns germs and steel uh, is a great book which is basically just about how europeans hit the jackpot in their location yeah for being dominant because there's really no big predators there as far as no. i can recall and there's not a no, lot of poisonous not a lot of poisonous insects or reptiles like i no, feel like europe is like if you're a new uh a budding civilization there's a there's a lot of uh you know a lot is taken off your plate just by where you're located oh yeah like their climate is so much more mild compared mm-hmm. to like anywhere else because they got that Gulf Stream, yeah, um, yeah. So, so that's basically uh, the overview of Darwinism, and then some some strange offshoots from it that tried to bend it to their will in different ways. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Well, we're coming to the end of the episode. Is there any final thoughts? Racism is bad. Evolution is good. Or it's not. Is evolution good? Well, it's it's indifferent. Wouldn't it be better? Wouldn't it be better if everybody just got to a certain spot? Like, if there was a, do you think there could ever be a perfect balance between species? Obviously, that's never going to happen on our planet. But do you think that 
if left alone, there will always be one dominant species that comes out on top and takes over the planet like we've done, whether they're mm. sentient or not. That's a good question. I would, I would have to say no. I would say no. I think, I think humans are an outlier. I well, yeah. Maybe that's an anthropomorphic thing to say, right? Like ants outnumber us like 10 to one or something crazy. Like right. That. Probably but, way more than 10 to one. <laughs> but if we're measuring uh, success based purely on your ability to manipulate the planet as a whole, Mm-hmm. Humans are completely uh, ahead by a, a landslide, right? <laughs> Do you think evolution, wherever there is evolution on a planet, that there emerges something like humans in that respect? Um, like maybe, like maybe you might have a planet where, uh, like you could say trees and grass are like dominant mm-hmm. to the same level of, as humans are. Like they're everywhere. They cover the planet. Um, in huge numbers, right? Uh, like we we can blow shit up. We can blow up the planet if we wanted to. Nobody else can do that. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> is that if you're just talking about your ability to manipulate the environment, humans are on top by a landslide because we can do shit like that. Usually, yeah. it's destructive yeah, change, yeah. but <laughs> you're right. We can out beaver any beaver. We yeah, until any anthill. Yes, yeah, right about we that. can do anything any animal can do better. Yeah. So, okay, so in a sense, there will always probably be one that is at the top in terms of its ability to reconstruct its environment. Now, yeah. how big would a planet have to be for there to be two species that emerge that are in direct competition or on the same playing field, I guess? Bringing it back to that book I'm reading, there's the spiders dominate the plant, the uh, surface planet, but there's uh, shrimp-like creatures in the ocean that develop as a civilization as well that they live in harmony right. with. Right. Um, Do you well, think it would have to be split between, like, the environments would have to be so different from each other? For like, in that case, one's underwater and one's above water, so that's why it was able to happen. But if there was two land dwelling species that could evolve mm. to the same point, well, or is that just, there's inevitably going to be one that takes out the other one. I will, I will consult the council of Bigfoots and get back to you. <laughs> <laughs> Cause we had Neanderthals and they, they were, they were separate species, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. So we, they were probably our closest competition and closest. We have their DNA. Right. Everyone has, Unless you are born uh, in like sub-Saharan Africa and your ancestors never left there, mm-hmm. you have some Neanderthal DNA. Yeah, most likely. Because Neanderthals lived in Europe mostly, right? Uh, yeah, they lived in like Europe, North Africa, um, that whole area. Yeah. Mm. North Africa used to be a temperate green area. Back... That's how the Nile the was a, a lush area. Yeah. Um, yeah, we wiped. It's 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 unknown whether we killed all the Neanderthals or whether they their traits were just not selected for due to climate change or something like that. Interesting. So interesting. I, don't, I don't really know. It's, it is kind of a mystery what happened to the Neanderthals. Okay. One last there. quick quick question. If humanity wipes itself out or there's a specific virus that targets humans and we get eliminated, what do you think that, you know, in a few million years, the next species to take up our mantle would be another primate? Or do you think it would come from a different uh, part of the animal kingdom? Hmm. I, uh, hmm, that's a good question. I kind of think it would be something, I think it would be like some squid. An underwater thing. Yeah, I think it would be like a Humboldt squid. These are like six foot long predatory squid that travel in these huge packs and they uh, communicate with each other with flashing their skin different colors. Oh, yeah. Now, the the question is, how long have they been unchanged? Because Well, here's the thing. Yeah, like I don't know if they're necessarily going to change. Uh, but the conditions of the oceans might become such that they are dominant. Right. 
like they may be dominant in whatever new salinity or temperature the ocean gets to. Like uh-huh. squid and jellyfish might totally take over the ocean. But oceans. do they have the? Because I think the thing that made humans so successful was this kind of insatiable, insatiable desire to progress technologically. Yeah, we're we are so good at. Uh, we almost don't need to adapt to evolve new traits to meet new challenges because we're right. so good at technology. That's why I'm like, are humans at a point where they don't have to evolve anymore because any anything that needs to be done differently can be done with one of our tools we invent? Well, yeah. So that that's the the one the one thing that like seems that I think people seem to talk about is like because we're so technological, our evolution is going to be driven by the pressures created by ourselves and our own technology. Ah, and we're going to become AI, uh, demigods. Okay. Well, that's good. Good positive note to leave it on. Uh, that's our episode (laughs) for this week. Thanks for listening. I don't know how many of you are actually listening. So I hope it's more than 10, but less than a hundred. That's my ideal number. Um, and I'll see you next week, Sam. All right. Yeah. I'll see you in, in the K town. All right. Bye. All right. See you. Stone.